Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. trite but we do appreciate you we appreciate you loving us we appreciate you sending Christ to die on a cross for our sins we appreciate the fact that you raised him from the dead we appreciate that you have taken us from darkness to light and give us given us an inheritance in Jesus so Lord we thank you we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father we thank you that as believers in Christ Jesus is our Savior and if he's our Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives within us. And so, Lord, we just thank you. And I pray that today, as we have gathered, we've taken time out of the first day of our week 
to gather together with your people to worship together. I pray that your spirit would truly bless us and encourage us and help us realize how important it is that we have you as our Heavenly Father. So, Lord, just bless this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you see it, maybe say hello to somebody or we know difficult and so uh, we like this song. i 
difficulties, it's got its disappointments, it's got its frailties, it's got all kinds of things. But with you, the assurance we have is that Jesus is mine. No matter what it is, he said he would never leave us nor desert us. He said that he would be with us through every trial. He said that he would bring us to heaven. He, what he's complete, what he has started, he will complete. So again, Lord, with whatever shape we're in this morning, we pray that, uh, A, you know far better than even we know what condition we're in. And we just pray that you would help us. Help us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would touch us. And that uh, we could look past the difficulties of this life and focus on you. And Lord, we pray for Gregory's widow as she continues to grieve now. I mean, you know, they hadn't been married that long. And now she's probably, and she may have lost a previous husband, so now she's grieving again. We pray for her. We pray for Nicolay as, as he takes over a ministry that uh, Grigori had for some 30 years. And that's difficult because, you know, he's different. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But help them make that transition, Lord. And I pray for Nicolay and his, and his wife and his family and that church. We just pray the, your richest blessing upon them, especially as, as they go through the winter now and as they uh, get ready just to continue your work. And we pray for us. We pray that you would help us with our difficulties and our pains and our frustrations. We pray for our country. We pray for the situation in Russia and Ukraine and, of course, around the world. And uh, we just thank you that you are a God who listens. And so just take a few quiet moments of prayer and as you think about, you know, what Cliff read from Colossians 1, what Christ has done for you, what God has done for us. I mean, do you really appreciate your Father? You're saying, Heavenly Father, I appreciate you, do you? You're saying that even in the desert times, even when it's difficult, even when we're going through trials, that you're our song. We bring you praise because we know that you're working together for your glory and our good, no matter what it is. I mean, is that true of us? Is Jesus truly our assurance? So as you think about that, if it is, thank him. If it isn't, say, oh God, help me. Like the man in Mark, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So wherever you are and whatever's on your heart and mind right now, spend a few quiet moments and take that to the Lord. Father, we just thank you that uh, you're there for us. 
may we not forget that? And, and that's, you would think, well, yeah, duh, but no, you know, I, I know me, when I get a pain or whatever is going through, you tend to just focus on that. And you forget your Heavenly Father knows. And so, Lord, when we get to that situation, may we truly trade our pain and our sorrows and everything for the joy of the Lord, knowing that he loves me. And there's a reason for everything, and he will get me through this. And it's just the, oh, Lord, help. So, Father, we just thank you for that blessed, blessed assurance. Not only is Jesus is mine, but this next song can be true if we will only use it. So we, we just pray, help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?
Lord, you know, help us truly lay them down so the joy of the Lord will take over because we're trusting you. We're trusting you. A lot of times we don't understand what's going on, and that's okay in the sense that we're trusting you. And so, Father, I pray that I know it's easier said than done, but oh, the joy. I mean, you can truly do this. And, I, and I, I pray that we've experienced that. And so, Lord, bring us to that point. Now, as we come to your word, truly teach us just how good and great you are. We pray to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Back to the book of Deuteronomy. So our key word for today, uh, you are probably not going to like. And knowing that is why we're going to we're going to kind of work our way into it briefly. As we go through the book of Deuteronomy, it's I, I'm having a great time. I may be the only one, but I'm having a great time because in the book of Deuteronomy, we are watching God and how he deals with his people. And so that's why initially I titled this God in Us. You know, the book of Deuteronomy displays our God. And as I read it early on and as I continued to read it, that's what I liked about this book is God is all over it. Truly, he is the key character. And it's about him and his people. As we begin to see last week in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, that say, you are the sons of the Lord your God. That's the relationship they have. Therefore, you shall not cut yourselves nor shave your foreheads for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So, so this, is, this is what the book's about. God and his people. He cares for his people. He cares for his people enough to direct them, to instruct them, to give them commandments. We think of commandments usually as something very negative, but it can be, and usually is, a very positive thing. He is directing their people so that they can experience a life that is truly blessed. And that really, uh, the first 13 chapters of Deuteronomy is kind of a recap of their history and kind of getting into that briefly as he tells them over and over, I've given you these commandments. Chapter 5, here are the Ten Commandments. We, we need to keep these. And it's in a general sense. Chapters 14 through 26, he gets very specific, including what we're going to see today, the one word you're not going to like. But he does that so that we can have a good life. God cares for his people. And remember, these commandments... We're not given just so that we would have something to do. These commandments were given, as he reminds them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, that you should hear, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you. Since I am God your creator, since I am your heavenly father, since truly father knows best, then I'm giving you these things so that you can have a good life so that it will be well with you. 
and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised. So that's, that's the whole point. It's the whole point. And in chapter 14, after again he kind of reminds them that they are his sons and daughters, they are a holy people for his own possession, he's now going to get very specific about what that looks like. And he starts with the key word, you're not going to like, diet. He talks about diet. I think we have all, to one degree or another, somewhere in our life have had some experience with a diet. Either we chose to go on a diet, or the doctor says, if you want to keep living, you need to go on a diet. We're familiar with diet. And, of course, the familiar thing is, is uh, like many, many songs, you know, everything I love is killing me, you know, and that's usually the same. You know, out of curiosity, when I was thinking of diets, I, I Googled diets, and there's, there's a lot of diets. And I just started writing out the ones that are at the top. There's a seven-day metabolic booster diet. There's a 14-day meat-free days to wellness diet. There's a mood booster seven-day diet. There's a vegetarian low-calorie diet. There's a seven-day cardio-protective vegan diet. There's a seven-day, and I don't know what happens after the seven days, but, you know, I read some of these, and oh, you're eating some weird things and drinking a lot of water. Anyway, there's, there's a seven-day cardio-productive fat loss diet. Okay, we add fat loss to cardio-productive. Uh, there's a 14-day vibrant vegetarian healthy heart diet. There's a 21-day vegan cow-controlled diet. There's a 14-day weight loss diet. On and on and on it goes. So we come to Deuteronomy 14, and we see God's Mount Sinai diet. This basically comes from Leviticus chapter 11, when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. This is the diet God gave his people that, uh, that he wanted them to obviously eat, and to some degree enjoy. Uh, and so here, here we go. I, I find it interesting that as Moses and God starts to get very specific about the laws and commandments that God has for his people, in other words, he's regulating how he wants them to live, he starts with food. Interesting. He starts with food. You know why? Most of us live by our bellies. Let's face it. We like to eat. I like to eat. You know, uh, I, I, diets usually are, are, not, uh, are not that great because it means i got to cut out what I like eating. That's really killing me. And it's what he's going to say, the same thing as well. So as we think about a diet, and as he was giving them these things, I'm sure that some of the Israelites were saying, oh, really, we can't eat that? Oh, we can eat that? Two things to remember. That, that we've said, and just remember this whenever you open your Bible. When you open your Bible and read what God is saying, he is trying to do two basic things. He's trying to protect you, especially with commandments. Thou shalt not, he's trying to protect you from harm. Thou shalt, he's trying to, number two, provide for you something better. So as God goes through his word and as he gives them commandments, as he gives them this diet, they needed to remember, God's trying to protect us, so we should love him and be happy. 
and he's trying to provide something good and better for us. So we should love him and be happy and follow directions. So let's look first of all at the protection aspect, the protection aspect. And this really uh, gives us a very key God-ordained principle about who he is. Verse 3. He starts by saying, you shall not eat any detestable thing. Okay, so you're standing there or you're sitting there as Moses is relaying this. Okay, here's God is good. You go to chapters 1, you go through, look at, he's got you out of Egypt. He is taking care of Og and, and Shion, those kings, and you're about to go into this land and look at God has done for you. Chapter 8, for 40 years, your shoes didn't wear out. He provided for you manna from heaven, water from rocks. He's protected you from enemies. And now as you go into this promised land, here's your diet from heaven. Number one, you shall not eat any detestable thing. The word detestable is a very important word. It's toavah, which is a Hebrew word that's used some 117 times in the Old Testament. And it means abominable, it means detestable, it means disgusting. And, and as you go through here, what you are really seeing is God is telling us, by the commandment he gives, something about himself. And what he's telling us is these things I'm going to tell you about, I don't want any detestable, or a lot of translations say it's abominable things, they enter your mouth. Why? Because they're abominable and detestable to me. That's why. You know, if you think about this, I, I thought about, we have all been shocked, as it were, when something happens or we see something and we say, oh my goodness, that's disgusting. Oh, that's, that's, that's detestable. That, that's abominable. I mean, that is disgusting. Now, that hasn't hit home. Think of some synonyms for disgusting. Abhorrent, abominable, appalling, awful, distasteful, dreadful, evil, foul, fulsome, gross, hideous, horrendous, horrible, horrid, loathsome, nasty, uh, nauseating, uh, obnoxious, obscene, odious, offensive, rancid, Repellent, repugnant, repulsive, revolting, scandalous, shocking, sickening, just plain ugly. So maybe some things have popped in your head and you say, oh yeah, you know, that is disgusting. God is going to tell us what's disgusting to him. And a good thing to remember is when he gives you a thou shalt not, he's telling you, I'm giving you a thou shalt not to protect you, and I'm trying to tell you, I don't like that. I don't like that. In the Ten Commandments, some of the thou shalt nots is don't worship other gods. That's disgusting. Don't make a, an idol and bow down to it. That's disgusting. Don't murder or kill another human being premeditated because you don't like it. That's disgusting to me. Don't commit adultery because that's disgusting to me. Don't lie. Don't uh, steal. Don't covet because all of that is disgusting to me. So I don't know if you ever thought about that, that when you read those things or you see these things in society or even you see these things in your life, you realize that disgusts 
God. God looks at me and he says, you know, I love you because you're my son or daughter, but that is sickening to me. And I thought, you know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, if we would remember that about sin, wouldn't that help us next time we're tempted to sin is saying, why do I want to do the disgusting? Why do I want to, as it were, jump in the sewer and play around in there? Because that's disgusting. So we don't want to do that. The words used, like I said, 117 times, it begins in Genesis 43. So let me just read these for you because I got them on a sheet. I don't even have to look them up. Just, just listen. In Genesis 43, 32, when Joseph brought his family to Egypt to save them from starvation, and when he was going to have dinner after he finally uh, revealed himself to his brothers, it tells us that they had to eat by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for this is loathsome. That's the word to the Egyptians. So it's disgusting to them to eat with the Jews, so they had to eat simply. In Genesis 46, 34, as, uh, as, as they got there and Joseph says, you're going to go before Pharaoh and you're going to tell him that you are shepherds. And so we need to give you your own land. Why? Because every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. In Leviticus 18.22, God says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination to God. Genesis, rather, Leviticus 18.26, But as for you, you are to keep my statutes, my judgments, shall not do any of these abominations neither the native nor the alien who soldiers among you. Uh, Leviticus 18.29, For whoever does any of these abominations, in other words, whoever is doing things that make me sick, those people who so shall be cut off from among your people. And that either means you're excommunicated or you lose your life. There's an argument about that. Uh, Leviticus 18.30, you are to keep my, star, my charge, God says, that you do not practice any of the abominable customs. Why? Because they make me sick. Which have been practiced before you so as not to defile yourself with them. I am the Lord your God. Proverbs, we'll skip all the way to Proverbs 3.32. The devious are an abomination to the Lord. There are six things which the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. In Proverbs 6, 17 and following, haughty eyes or pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are rapid to evil, a false witness, one who spreads strife among his brothers. That's all that makes God sick. Proverbs 11, 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 15, 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 15, 26, evil plans are an abomination to the Lord. All of these things disgust God. All of these things are detestable to God. All of these things make him sick. And so he says, you stay away from them. And so I think they had somewhat of a feeling like that about that when he says, you shall not eat any detestable thing. Because this goes against my character. It goes against, just stay away from it. Look at it truly as detestable, abominable, sickening. Sickening. 
Well, what, what are we to stay away from? What is it? So we're going to skip a few verses because he starts with the things you can't eat first. Go to verse 7. So here's what is detestable to the Lord, that you shall not eat. This Here's your diet. Nevertheless, you shall not eat of those among, the, uh, among those who chew the cud or among those who divide the hoof in two, the camel and the rabbit and the shepon, for though they chew the cud, they do not divide the, the uh, hoof. They are unclean for you. You're to look at them as detestable. For those of you that like rabbit stew, I'm sorry, but I didn't write it. All right? This is the, don't, no rabbit is out. The pig, this is that gets most of us, you pork lovers, bacon, sausage, ham. The pig is, is detestable to you because it divides the hoof, but it does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. Verse 10. And he goes into the seafood uh, tray, and then he says, verse 10, But anything that does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. Verse 12. But those are the ones that you shall not eat. Birds. He's going to say you can eat any clean bird. Here's the birds you can't eat. An eagle, a vulture, a buzzard. Verse 13, the red kite, the falcon, the kite in their kind. Verse 14, every raven in its kind. Verse 15, the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, the hawk in, in their kinds. The little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the pelican, the, the carrion ver, uh, vulture and the cormant. The, the stork and the heron in their kinds, the hoopie and the bat. All these, all the teeming life with wings are unclean to you. You shall not, they shall not be eaten because they're abominable. They're abominable. Then verse 21, 21, you shall not eat anything which dies of itself. You can give it to uh, an alien who's in your town so that he may eat it, or you may sell it to the foreigner. For you are holy people to the Lord your God. Why, why was that so? Because if an animal dies by itself in the field, it, it wasn't bled. I mean, it didn't, kill, it didn't die and then say, oh, i got to drain all the blood out of me. So it means it's defiled meat. You can't eat that. But you can sell it. Somebody else can eat it, just not you. Because remember, we saw how life is in the blood. The blood was given for the, for the atonement of your souls. So to be very, very careful. Then lastly, you shall not boil a young a goat in its mother's milk. So he's saying these are abominable. Stay away from them. Now, I'm sitting there listening to Moses, and I, if I'd say, why? Why are, these, why are these abominable and not the things that we can eat? Two major reasons. And the first one is the key one. The major reason why these are abominable is because God said so. Period. I mean, I, I loved Ellicott. I says, you know, what's abominable? Whatever God says is abominable. God's making the point, look it, I'm God, you're my people. If I say it's abominable, disgusting, detestable, it is. Whether you agree or not, whether you understand or not, the point is I want you to listen to me and trust me and obey me. You see, there, there's nothing inherently, as it were, 
abominable about a pig or about all these things. And the reason we know that is that when you get into the New Testament, God himself told Peter to rise, kill, and eat those. So that kind of answers the question. No, we're not under this law. So you get to the New Testament, and now you can eat them. So the whole point was is that there's nothing inherently abhorrent about these animals except God says no. Just like in the Garden of Eden. You remember in the Garden of Eden that uh, God had, pre had, had made that great, great garden and he put Adam in the middle of it. And in Genesis 2, verse 14 and 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Any tree. Just look around, Adam. Go for it. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on that day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Whatever that tree was, and we don't know, was not the tree. There was nothing evil in the fruit. It wasn't some magic apple like in, what is it, Snow White. The point was, I said, don't eat it. That's the point. So if I said, don't eat this microphone, that's the point, whether you ever would or not. And the whole point was, is, is that you just need to obey me. Because if you eat of it, what are you doing? You are disobeying me. Now you know evil by experience, because that's what disobedience is. So it, it, the diet had really nothing predominantly to do with the animals. It was because God said, thou shalt not. But there was a, a part of, of the diet that was there to protect them that did have to do with the animals. And that was to keep them separate from the pagan people around them that... Uh, that would eat some of these things at their at their uh, feast and whatever. You know, writers will say, you know, we really don't know why some of these are in this list. God knows, but that's really not the point. The point is, I said no, so no's the answer. But if, if you go to verse 21, it gets specific. At the end, see the last sentence? You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What in the world is that? I, I mean, the best explanation and the shortest one I found was from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown in their Bible commentary. And they said this was a prohibition against imitating the superstitious rites of the idolaters in Egypt who, at the end of their harvest, seized or boiled a kid in its mother's milk and then sprinkled the broth as a magical charm on their gardens and fields to render them more productive the following season. So it was kind of a, a, a their magical right. And God is saying, don't do that, because remember, I want you to be separate from them. I want you, you are to be a holy people unto me. You know, you, you, you are for my own possession. You're to be different from them. You know, we can remember... Leviticus 11, which is where these originally were given. There God tells his people, verse 43, do not render yourself detestable. To who? To God. 
through any of the swarming things that swarm, you shall not make yourself unclean with them so that you become unclean. Why? Leviticus 11.44, for I am the Lord your God. That's why. Consecrate, separate yourself, therefore, from those things. And be holy, for I am holy. And you shall make yourself and, and you shall not make yourself unclean by any eating any of those things. See, you are, you make yourself holy predominantly when we obey God. Period. So that's the major point of the diet. Yes, it had a, another major point of the separation to keep them separate, to help them keep separate from the idolaters around them that would have eaten all these kinds of things. Because you remember, that's been a major theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy. You are not to do that. For example, if you just go back a page to chapter 12, verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you nations which are going, which you are going in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow them. For they are, destro for they are destroyed before you, and you do not inquire after their gods, saying, Well, how do these nations save their gods? I will also do likewise. You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God, for every abominable act, because I say it's abominable, it violates me, it violates my law, which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. They even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods, whatever I commanded you. Be careful to do it so that you do not do not add to it or take away from it. I mean, you don't really even have to understand it. You just to the point of, hey, what did God say? I got it. I'm going to trust God whether I understand this or not. And I want to stay separate. And to help you stay separate, I'm going to give you a unique diet. You see, it's hard to be involved with idolaters when you can't go to their feast. And the reason you can't go to their feast is they're probably, you know, they, they, they've got the pig in the pit and they're doing that and they're eating all these things you can't eat. So this was done to keep them from socializing with the idolaters because if you socialize and you have a meal and you have some wine, pretty soon you may be tempted to say, okay, now we're going to worship even though they've been worshiping already. Fine. God says no. God says, I'm giving you this diet because, number one, I'm, just, I'm, I'm God. I make the rules. If I say it's abominable, it's abominable. Don't do it. Number two, I'm doing this to protect you, to try to keep you separate from the people around you. But there's also a positive point to this. He's providing for them. Notice, because you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, my goodness, we can't have pig. We can't have an eagle. We can't eat shellfish. Uh, we can't eat this, and we can't eat that. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Well, yeah, if you focus on that, you're going to be miserable. However, second point with the diet is God provided. Look at what he provided. Go to verse 4. In fact, after he says, you shall not eat any detestable thing, right after that, unless you get really depressed, these are the animals which you may eat. The ox, beef, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the abex, 
the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You can eat these things. Anything that splits the hoof and chews the cud, you can eat. Verse 9. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Anything that has fins and scales you may eat. So this tr trout has scales, right? You trout fishermen, yay. I mean, you can eat this. Go for it. Verse 11, you may eat any clean bird. What's a clean bird? Anything that's not unclean. What are they? Verses 12 and following. And then verse 20, you can eat any clean thing. So God is providing. You see, this is a great thing about God. When he tells you a thou shalt not, he's going to give you a thou shalt. He says, yeah, you can't eat this. Why? Because I say so. Number two, I'm trying to protect you from the evil around you because it's what they do. But basically, it's because I say so. Are you going to trust me? Unless you think I'm an ogre and says you can't eat any, you're going to have, you're going to be miserable. Ah, go kill a cow. Go kill a cow. Go, go kill an ox. Go kill a deer. Go kill a lamb or a goat and, and eat those. Enjoy the sea bass and whatever else in tuna. I'm assuming they all have scales. And, and so, man, man, that's, isn't it great? I just love that. God says, thou shalt not. Just trust me, but thou shalt. Thou shalt. Why did God provide? You know, God could have said, uh, go back to the Garden of Eden where it assumes they just ate vegetables. Why, why did God do this? Well, because he loves us. Deuteronomy 7, 8, I have set my love on you. Because he provides and cares for them, and he has all the way along the line. I love the description Deuteronomy 1, verse 31. God's reminding them, listen to this, Deuteronomy 1, 31. And in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way which you have walked until you've come to this place. God is taking care of you like a father to a son your entire life. And you get to, again, like I alluded to earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 8, how God has cared for you throughout the wilderness. Your clothes didn't wear out and all of that stuff. He cared for you because he loves you. He's just saying, trust me. Trust me. Just follow directions. Now you're beginning to see why, even from chapter 1 to chapter 14, there are so many references to here are my commandments, do my commandments. I mean, it's like over and over and over again. I, I was, as I was going through this, I was reminded again of chapter 11, verse 18. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and, you sh and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. Just don't forget these. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your host of your houses and on your gates, so that you don't forget. You don't forget. And then you enjoy. Enjoy what I have given you. It's awesome. The diet that God gave them was to protect them and to provide for them. Okay, so you say, I, I got that. What about today? Can I go have a ham and cheese sandwich? Well, let's start with Jesus in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, and I just love the way the Bible sticks together. It's awesome. 
In Mark 7, Jesus and the Pharisees and his disciples uh, kind of got into a little tiff. And the reason is, the first part of the chapter is because the disciples were eating without washing their hands according to the custom of the Pharisees. They weren't doing anything wrong, except the Pharisees had, had so embellished God's law and added all kinds of things to it, it really was ridiculous, and that's the whole conversation. The Pharisees are saying, well, Jesus, how are your disciples defiling themselves doing the abominable, the detestable, uh, the disgusting by not washing their hands according to our, our traditions. And Jesus says, basically, they're not. And to skip a little bit, Jesus says, really, you know what the issue is? The heart. The issue is the heart. Because they were saying, you eat with unclean hands, it's going to make you unclean. Jesus says, No. Verse 15, let's begin there in Mark 7, 15. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him. If it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are, that, are those that defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the mouth, the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it goes not into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Verse 19. He was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From within, for within, out of the heart, a man proceeds uh, the evil uh, out of the heart precede the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. So they come from your heart. What Jesus is saying is that we are now we're now entering a, a different a different uh, period of history. As you go through the Bible, there are, some call them dispensations, some call them covenants, whatever you want to call them. God deals with different people at different, differently at different times in history. Back in the Old Testament, as the nation of Israel was going into the land, he gave them the dietary laws to protect them. And yes, whatever, whatever nutritional, sanitary Benefits would have been secondary to that, but primarily to protect them and to get them to just trust him as God and obey me. And now as we move to the New Testament, we're, 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 we're changing a bit, even though Jesus was still under the law. He's under the law until he cru he's crucified and he, and he pays that penalty and the, and the curtain in the temple is torn from top to bottom. But here Jesus, as the Son of God, God himself says at this point, now, you know, all foods are clean. I don't know if they got the point, but Mark recorded it for us. After Jesus dies, is buried, rises again, ascends back into heaven, the apostles begin to preach and teach and go about their way. You remember that predominantly it was to the Jew first. So they were spending a, the predominant of their time to the Jewish people. In Acts chapter 10, we are introduced to a 
man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, a Gentile. But he's a Gentile, verse 2, that feared God, gave alms to the Jewish people, and prayed continually. One day as he was praying, an angel appeared to him and said, I want you to send to, uh, to Joppa, verse 5, send for a man named Simon who is called Peter. And so the angel left, and so Cornelius does the next day. Sends to Joppa for this guy named Peter. You're going to find out in Acts chapter 11 that when that was told to Cornelius, verse 13, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel. This is Peter saying, Cornelius reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who was called Peter, brought here. Verse 14, for he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So here was a Gentile that was open to God, doing whatever he knew, and God honored that and sent him a special angel that said, go get Peter and he will tell you how to be saved. But we have a problem because Peter's a Jew. And Peter had spent his entire life distancing himself from Gentiles. So God now, as Peter, verse 9, back to chapter 10, it's approaching the, uh, the sixth hour, which is lunchtime, noon. And he becomes hungry. That's what you do around lunchtime. And God gives him a vision. And the vision is a sheep coming out of heaven, verse 11, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, verse 12, crawling creatures in the earth of the earth, birds, and of the air. And we have to assume at this point that most of these, if not all of them, were unclean animals. You recognize them. God said in Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11, these are detestable. These are abominable. Don't you dare eat any of these. And a voice comes out of heaven, verse 13, and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can just, I can just speak, really? Peter says, by no means, Lord, I can't do this. For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. I got the memo from Deuteronomy 14. And I followed that my entire life. I can't do this. And again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Jesus has died, been buried, rose again the third day. Veil in the temple has been, been rent from top to bottom. The old covenant is done. We're now in the new covenant. He sent the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 of Acts. So we are now in a whole new dispensation. Now you can eat. Now you can eat. It's no longer unholy. It's no longer detestable. It's no longer disgusting. And so Peter eventually gets to go to Cornelius's house, and Cornelius has got the house packed with his friends. And Peter comes in and he says, Cornelius, verse 28, you yourself know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. God had never said that. That was, again, part of the Pharisaic embellishment. This was just Pharisaic uh, tradition. And he says, you understand, I can't, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. 
And that was, again, part of the whole thing with, with the animals. These are unholy and un, un, unclean. Don't eat them, because God declared so. You are holy, and you shall be clean. But here's the point. You know, verse 34, he's preaching to these people, and, and Peter says, Oh, I most certainly now understand that God is not one to show partiality. And in every nation, the man who hears him and does what is right is welcome to him. A whole new dispensation. The point is, Peter, now you can eat it. Now you can eat. So you say, okay, we live now in that dispensation, so I can eat that. I can eat whatever I want. Well, yes. To a point. Romans 14. And since we're out of time, I'll do this. Just Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 are all about being careful not to offend a weaker brother. We're not talking about a picky brother. We're talking about a person who has come out of a background that they have not eaten any of this stuff their entire life and are just having a problem making that shift. And the basic point is Paul is saying, look, at if it's really bothering your friend and he's, he's really struggling with this in his faith, when you're together, don't order a ham and cheese sandwich. If you want a ham and cheese sandwich, eat it when you get home later. When, you're not, when he's not there to offend. That's the basic point. So we do have to be careful. We do have to be careful what we eat that we don't offend somebody. If somebody has a real problem with something, hey, you know, as, as Paul's going to tell us, verse 17 of chapter 14, the kingdom of heaven is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit. So he says, verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. It's a basic principle. This bothers you, I won't do it in your presence. If you are a true weaker brother. If you're just being picky and obnoxious, well, that's another issue. But I still want to be careful. I still want to be careful. So to sum this up, what does Deuteronomy 13, 14, 3 through 21 teach us? It's an interesting diet. We're not under that diet today, but it teaches us some big lessons. Number one, it teaches us that God is smart, good, loving, serious, disciplines us, trains us, protects us, and provides for us. Big lesson. Number two, it teaches us that we need to focus on what we can do and not obsess about what we can't do. I think that's a huge lesson. If you if they were to spend their entire life with the oh me's, mice, whatever, we can't eat that. We can't have sausage or, or pig. I can smell the I can smell the bacon cooking over there in that other camp across the border. If you spent your entire life doing that, you are gonna be miserable. Trust me. I mean, most of us, because we're all older in here, know what eye floaters are, right? He was preaching to the choir. Everybody's got a few eyefolders. You know what those are? That's part of your vitreous coming apart because your eyeball is small. It's like a grape in there. And when you're born, the inside of your eyeball is like a gel. It's a gel that holds your eyeball up. As we get older, that gel turns to a liquid and it begins to pull away from the cornea. And as it pulls away from the cornea, you get little pieces for I call them garbage. And there they are. They're floating around. So I've, I, 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 I remember noticing those walking on the beach years ago. 
And you know, and it was a bummer. And I said, are you kidding? Get rid of that stupid thing. And you know what I found? If I focus on that floater, I'm going to miss the ocean. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, you know, and, and here's the thing, you don't get rid of it, your brain eventually tells you it's not there, but it's, it's going to be there. And so, you know, if I focused on that, I'm going to miss the ocean, not that I'm going to fall in and drown, but I'm going to miss the beauty that's around me. And I think one of the big lessons that we get from this is, look, at God has given us certain thou shalt nots, and he wants us still today... You know, the majority of the commandments are involved. We're still not to cheat and lie and steal and commit adultery and all that. So that is still detestable to God. We stay away from that. And instead of just spending all of our life thinking, oh, what a bummer. I can't steal, kill, and all of that other stuff. Realize, look at God has given me all kinds of things to enjoy and do. And I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on that. I thought of, you know... Biblical principle. How about this one? 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee youthful lust. You can spend a lot of time. That's a youthful lust. i got to flee. I gotta, if you spend all of your time thinking about fleeing youthful lust, I think you've missed the point. Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness. You spend your focus pursuing righteousness you will flee youthful lust. You spend your life eating what God has given you to eat. Be much easier leaving the ham alone. Say, you know, God at this point in history has said that is disgusting and detestable. I'm going to trust God because I know obedience has a blessing and I'm going to obey God. Far greater blessing than if I eat that ham. Because if you're a true believer, you eat that ham, you're going to be so guilty, you're going to be miserable anyway. So I think one of the great lessons to learn is focus on what God has given us to do. Let me end with this, and this is the end, I promise. <laughs> Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day which the Lord has made. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. It's not here yet. We may think back about great days that we've had. They're gone. This is the day. The moment you are living in is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. You never live in the past. Got news for you. You never live in the future. As soon as the future shows up, it's the present. It's the present. Father, what? I mean, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed at how great you are and how really, to a large degree, how simple your instructions are. You, you have told us, stay away from that. Why? You know, everybody else is doing it. That's what our friends may say. Oh, why, why, why don't you do that? Well, because God said not to. Well, what does God know? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the 21st century, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you say, no, 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 Lord, I'm going to trust you. But oh, dear God, i got all these concerns about tomorrow, but I'm not there. Oh, I love all of this about the past, but I'm not there either. This is the day. That you've given me. So in terminology of the diet, 
In Deuteronomy chapter 14, I'm going to eat this. I'm going to focus my entire diet, everything I prepare, everything I enjoy around this, because that is obeying you, and that's the blessing. And that's the protection, and that's to provide the, the, the provision. As we get ready for this last song, I want you to think about what in your life has got you hung up. And say, God, I give it to you. Help me find something good about this day and enjoy it. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. <laughs> Shall we stand? This is the day, this is the day said this day may be nothing that I want any part of. This is not the day that I would have chosen or designed but this is the day the Lord has made. So oh dear God help me rejoice and be glad in it. Pray to that end in Jesus name.